Hi there, church family. Good to be with you today uh, through the video, our midweek discussion that we do each week, reviewing the sermon and going over some of the points, just maybe talking more in depth or uh, whatever discussion we have uh, with the message this week. I'm kind of at a downslope here, though, because I wasn't here Sunday, and Pastor Spencer preached. I know what he preached on, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, all the way through verse 18 is where he got. Uh, so verses, I don't know, 14 through 18, is mm -hmm. that it? Yeah. Uh, verses 14 through 18. Um, and so Pastor Spencer is going to kind of lead us uh, today uh, through this. Hopefully I'll still be able to talk about it even though I wasn't wasn't there. Hopefully I've been studying it up enough <laughs> uh, to help with this conversation in, in some way, uh, shape, or form. Uh, but... It is hard, I will say. I think I think it's hard. You came, before you came to Monroe, you were pastoring a church where you preached each week, mm. right? Yeah. How many How many times did you preach a week? Uh, I mean, one sermon, one Just, full sermon. Okay, but then did you teach throughout the week yeah. or something too? Yeah. yeah. I found it hard because I, I was the same way. I was preaching when I was at Cornerstone. Mm -hmm. We did two, I did two sermons a week, okay. morning and evening, and then I would teach on Wednesday. And then when I came to Monroe, that was just like cut off, you right. know, where I I was teaching once a week to the youth. Um, but I remember when I would had the opportunity to preach, it was kind of weird. Yeah. Because you were out of it. Sure. A little bit. I don't know. Do you, you feel that way? Yeah. I mean, it's something different. Um, you know, it's uh, I'm doing something a lot more, you know, like the, the Sunday school stuff. Is, yeah. That's consistent. But yeah, it is. It is a different, you know, that, and that's a good thing, though in the sense in which you recognize there is a difference between preaching and then the ongoing necessary educational ministry of the church. But there's, there's something really special about preaching, and that's, yeah. that's a good difference to feel mm -hmm. um, for any of us, mm -hmm. I think, to recognize. Yeah. yeah. So you were studying this uh, this week in Ephesians, and you shared the message. Again, I wasn't there, so you're going to kind of have to lead us mm -hmm. uh, through that. Um, with some questions for us or whatever you want to do. So go yeah. ahead and um, take over. Yeah, the basic uh, breakdown was the, um, the, the, word, the use of the word, actually, the, my sermon was built around uh, the word both. Um, in my mind, actually, it probably may have not come across that way, but um, because Paul talks about that in Christ, both the Jew and Gentile have been made one new man. That, um, and then he says, both... Jew and Gentile have been reconciled, he says, in one body through the cross. So you see also the both in one being played off. And then again, eventually in verse 14, that we both have access by one spirit. Um, so Paul is, in this passage, is showing how Christ has um, made, comprehensively made, both Jew and Gentile one with each other, but then also with God together. Um, and this kind of is highlighting that verse that you preached on, Tim, from uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 10, where he talks about that in Christ, the Christ, um, God is gathering together in one all things in Christ, mm -hmm. both which are in heaven and which are on earth. So you covered that, and that's kind of, in a sense, what's happening here is all things are being brought back together in Jesus Christ, where it's in sin, everything is dispersed, made chaos and destroyed, disintegrated. Now everything's being brought back to harmony and unity and wholeness and completeness um, in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, that was the the basic outline. Um, Pastor Scott, you were there. Um, 
rate it on a one to ten scale. He's going to be Simon Cowell. Why are you, why are you here? <laughs> um, so thinking about um, the, the first part of that, the one new man, um, a new humanity. What, think about like, what does that mean for us as, um, as believers in Jesus Christ individually, but then also Paul makes that, you can't think about your individual existence apart from a corporate existence. Yeah. Um, how should that change us as believers as we battle sin and our, as we, our relationship with the world, but the fact that we're a part of a, a new humanity and this church is where that new humanity is located locally. Um, just talk, if you, I don't know if you have any thoughts or reflections yeah. on that. I remember something that you said in your message was that <clears throat> we are not simply better versions of ourselves, but we are actually totally new mm. and uh, it changes our identity and who we are that you're made part of this body. And so actually in the very next verses, Paul's going to start using some illustrations, I think, of yeah. what it means to be part of this new humanity, yeah. this new right. body uh, <clears throat> in Christ. And so I think uh, you <laughs> elaborated on where, I, where our identity is found, how we think of ourselves first and foremost. Mm. And um, I think you said that like a, a Christian, their first identity is that they are in Christ and that is who they are. Um, and so I think that changes the way you see the purpose of your life, the, the function of your life, what you spend your time doing, how you prioritize things, um, and also who you spend time with, uh, your willingness to spend time with them and, and be committed to, uh, I think, ultimately the church body. And so because I would think that the, the church <clears throat> itself is kind of like the beginnings of this, of what will one day be completed mm -hmm. in Christ. And so the, the church is that new body mm -hmm. uh, in that sense. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that helps yeah, or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to me, like many of the problems in the world where the answer is found in Scripture, mm -hmm. but nobody seems to want to address that. Yeah. You know, and, and so when you're talking about what Christ has done is he has brought together uh, what, what, what it tells in Revelations that of all nations, there'll be all nations, tribes and tongues there yeah. worshiping him. Um, Today, you know, in our culture, we see this problem of race coming back. It seems really strong right now. And people talking about, wow, oh, we're just one race. We're the human race. Or, you know, or your others say, but we need to embrace our differences that we have and how that brings just more life. And you see all these struggles right in here. And really the answer that we see scripturally is this really can only be done through Christ where he, because mm. we need to be newly created. Yeah. in order to become together and yeah. be one. We can't, like you had said, I, well, you said Spencer said it, I don't, I'm not sure, but how God's not just this add-on, <clears throat> it's, it's a whole new thing. And that's necessary in order for the church to actually be united and work together. It's not, and I, I see that in culture, like I see that with celebrities sometimes where it seems like God is this add-on. Like I'm this, I'm this special athlete, but also God comes along and kind of pushes me a little farther, mm -hmm. right, in his realm, like this this extra boost of energy, right. almost like a power-up or something. Right. And that's not what we see scripturally. We see, no, we, we die to ourself completely, and he creates within us a new being, which unites us to all those he's done that for in yeah. the past and currently right. and also in the future, right. that he'll do that yeah. across all nations, across all lands. And that's why it's it's very comforting if you've ever been to a foreign uh, a foreign land and you go to worship service maybe you're there for mm -hmm. mission 
and you find out we're worshiping the same God. They are, <laughs> they are <clears throat> new creations just like me. I have no idea what they're saying. Right? Mm-hmm. I, they're reading the Bible, though. They're preaching from the Bible. They're observing the ordinances still. And we have this bond in Christ together mm-hmm. because we have been newly created. Mm-hmm. It really is the answer for the world, mm-hmm. for the problems of the world. Um, and it amazes me sometimes how quickly the world just shuns that and pushes that aside uh, when it is the answer that mm-hmm. I think people so desperately are seeking after, mm-hmm. you know, in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, the way of salvation is all connected to Christ and therefore it's connected to crucifixion, death and resurrection. The world does not want to hear that the way <clears throat> that God redeems us is by killing us with Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We die. Yeah. Paul says it. You've died. Mm-hmm. So God has determined that if you're a believer, he's going to kill the old you mm-hmm. in Christ, but he's going to raise the new you in him as well. Um, and uh, I was reading for some of this. Uh, I was just kind of perusing because I remember C.S. Lewis had some some interesting points where he talks about how um, you know, he has a chapter about nice people or new men hmm. and about what Christ is making these new men, right. the new yeah. men, and uh-huh. he's transforming us from being, he has another chapter where um, imagining you to think about what if a toy soldier moved from being a tin toy soldier to actually coming to life and becoming the real thing. And and uh, I guess that's really what Jesus is about doing is, is killing the old self and it doesn't mean that the diversity is gone in the body of Christ. There is diversity, but it's it's new. Mm-hmm. It's you in Christ now, and uh, the old you is gone. The new has come. Another thing that um, I didn't mention, I don't think, in the sermon so much, but it, it made me reflect, um, is Paul says that he's created the new man, and he talks about how the law of commandments contained in ordinances. And right there, he's talking about the Mosaic law especially, how the Mosaic law... I think designed by God separated Israel apart for a for a season in mm-hmm. world history, um, separated them, partitioned them, so that a way the Christ could come from that nation. But also, there's a sense in which, and so what that did, I should say, <clears throat> is that law then created it, it resulted though in a hatred between Jew and Gentile. There was that hatred. Um, we're not saying God created that, but the law that was put there for as part of the plan and purpose did result in that. But there's also a sense in which, more broadly speaking, not necessarily just the law of Moses, but anytime the law comes, and if we base our relationships with other people upon law, it's going to actually divide because none of us can keep the laws. Right. Isn't that, it's funny, we live in a society, I can watch some commercials on my, you know, actually, we, I watch local television and there's mm-hmm. commercials, and there's, there's a couple of commercials that you'll see often. Commercials about Medicare, and you'll see commercials with lawyers telling you that you can sue somebody for some disease you got or some accident that's happened. We live in a very legalistic society because lawyers are advertised all, the pl- all over mm-hmm. the place. So the more law we put in place the more we actually find people being divided and ready to hate each other and sue each other. And sometimes that's legitimate. Um, I don't want to deny that. But other times I do think it's interesting that 
if in our relationships with our spouse or in our families or as a society, if we become so rooted upon, um, I guess law is insufficient ultimately to restore unity, isn't it? There's no grace there. It mm-hmm. takes Christ. It takes yeah. free forgiveness. Um, any thoughts about that? Oh, oh you're right. That's I kind mean, of just that was just kind of some. Yeah. I guess I was rambling like an example of like, like within a church maybe, uh, like where a church would do that would base, would set up a law, mm. so law, yeah. so to speak. Because I think there's obviously <clears throat> what you're not saying is that you're not saying that we don't adhere to biblical standards sure. of teaching and doctrine. Correct. But I think that there are people out there that might interpret it that way. Yeah, yeah. So what's like an example of what you're talking about exactly? Well, I guess I guess what I'm saying is is ultimately even even the good commandments because we all break the command. We're all sinners, right? Paul says that the law is good and holy and righteous. But if I build my relationship with my for instance my wife, if I built my relationship with her strictly upon law, it's going to fail. Every single time, because even the things that I should yeah. do as a husband, I fail. She has to forgive me. And ultimately, all of these various relationships in our, in our lives, even the ones that are good God's moral commandments that I believe we should uphold, I'm still going to fail. And if I don't have Christ, if I don't have grace, ultimately, the thing is going to disintegrate because grace comes <laughs> and pardons me from those things and but brings them together mm-hmm. regardless. I don't know if I'm, I'm no, just I know kind of abstract I, what I'm saying. I know but, where my mind went when you were talking about that was like what we've done with some politicians or some celebrity figures or people who held power is we've went back into their past and found things that they had done wrong. Sure. And now they're wiped out, right? They're wiped out. Yeah. And so you started seeing that in our culture where people were going back into the past and saying, look at this movie that you did and you mm. you were saying this or you know, look at this tweet that you tweeted out years ago and all of a sudden they were being completely canceled mm. and wiped out and like losing their jobs over it, losing opportunities over it. Mm-hmm. And that's a law-based model. right? And the problem with that model is, I've said this before, the problem with that model is you can do that with everybody. Right. There's nobody who's going to be found guiltless. Every politician, you're going to find dirt. Right? Every celebrity, you're going to find dirt. Every person in your church, you're going to find dirt to where you could kick them out. Mm-hmm. Right? You could kick them out because you have not observed this law, right. this standard, well. Well, that's supposed to be a big difference, though, about the church, is in the church, we have grace. Mm-hmm. And we understand that we're sinners, Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we function is we know we are sinners Mm -hmm. saved by grace. And so there's some people within our church family who, if you had a scale of sin, it doesn't go too high up on the scale. Right. But you're going to have some who are going to go really high up on the scale. But their salvations are the same. Right. Who they are, their new creation are the same and they're still in Christ. And so we work together even Mm -hmm. knowing that Mm -hmm. about about each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I read a. I read a book <clears throat> while I was gone, and uh, this church had a homeless man who started coming to church. Like he was sneaking and living in there, mm. and they started uh, uh, serving him and ministering to him. He ended up becoming a member of the church. Uh, he accepted Christ, but he still had these struggles where he would fall back into mm-hmm. addiction, where he would fall. But they would keep being there for him, mm-hmm. right, and keep loving him. And keep caring for him. And he eventually got to the point where they were letting him lead a ministry hmm. within his church of for for addicts and for the homeless. They, this church then ended up helping him find a job, ended up helping him get some housing, 
right? But yet he would still have these times that were very clear where he would fall back. But they didn't just like relinquish him, get rid of him because of sure. what he did. No, they were being the church to him and they were loving him and understanding mm-hmm. sin is a part of this. <clears throat> right. But grace is also. Right. Right. It was a good picture, mm-hmm. I think, of what you're. Are, yeah. are talking about yeah. here. Yeah, I think just broadly speaking, yeah, the, the law can never serve as a basis for unity with, because of sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in society, we see that it doesn't work, and in the church. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean the law's bad. Paul's always no, saying yeah, that yeah. law's yeah. bad. Uh-huh. The law's not bad. I'm bad. Right. And so that's why I need mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. to to make me right with right. him. And then he does change my heart so I can start mm-hmm. to obey the law mm-hmm. out of gratitude and thankfulness. And again, there are things though that we have to take stands on and we can't yeah. just always give grace. And so like, you know, even even Paul would tell yes. people, you need to stop talking. Right. right? You need to kick this sure. person out of the church. You sure. need to deal with this because there are issues that are foundational that sure. it's like we, we can't be united unless we hold to these truths. Well, yeah. that gets to yeah. a question that I had. So when... When Paul in these verses says, and you might have already said this in verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed mm-hmm. in ordinances, is he talking about like the, um, like the, I don't know the different designations, mm-hmm. but is he including in that the moral law as well? Or just kind of like the, the cultural norms that Israel would do of like food laws, mm-hmm. ceremonial laws, yeah. things like that? Did That's you a really touch good on point. that? Yeah, I think, I think in this instance, he's especially highlighting. I mean, the, the preeminent one would be circumcision, the ceremony mm-hmm. of circumcision mm-hmm. that was commanded by God, but it mm-hmm. was a, it's some part of the moral law. Yeah, because um, the reason, yeah, like we would still be able to say, like you can't be a part of our church and still living in gross sin, is because we don't throw out the moral law. Right, mm-hmm. right. We haven't right. thrown that out. Right. But like the way I was trying to think of it yeah. concretely, in terms of like where, how would this show up in our church, mm-hmm. and how would this cause division within MMBC? I mean, I think of things like parenting styles, mm-hmm. like, you know, like that we have a lot of families in our church. And if if it's understood generally, like in our church, that to be a faithful Christian, you have to parent your kids in this way. Mm-hmm. And that would be setting yeah. up some kind of cultural <clears throat> law that is not in Scripture right. that we have an to extra follow. Law. It's an mm-hmm. extra thing. Right. Whereas like this is getting it kind yeah. of that is mm-hmm. like, no, we don't find our unity in mm-hmm. how we raise our children. I mean, I think you could say it too, even in maybe not our church specifically, but you see the other laws that like a more, a more independent, maybe fundamental type mentality uh, of churches, of clothes you have to wear, Yeah, you know, a way that you have to look, certain ways that you have to look or dress or adorn yourself becomes this extra law Mm -hmm. on top of it Mm -hmm. um, that just divides and doesn't, Mm -hmm. that doesn't unite. You know, it's not some doctrinal thing that we are all centered around it's it's this extra added on stuff mm-hmm. um would would be a big one mm-hmm. uh, martin lloyd jones who i like to read a lot i didn't bring this up in my sermon because i'm not trying to be controversial but for him baptism was one like he said it very clearly why does the amount of water separate us the amount of water that we're using why is that why is that separating us where is that you know and I know as Baptists, we would go to that word and we would say, oh, it means this. And so that's why we do this, right? Examples we see in scripture. Yeah. Yeah. But he, to him, that was uh, an extra law that was dividing unnecessarily because it wasn't talking about salvation. It wasn't talking about the Trinity. It wasn't talking about these foundational things. And so he saw that as as a barrier that could be knocked down, that shouldn't be there. 
you know, that was one that he was dealing with uh, yeah. back then. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of ex- examples. And it's hard when you ask, what is it in our church? Because we're in it. And I think sometimes we're blind to that stuff. Yeah. Where it's been good having you guys come in as new people, maybe to see some of those things that we don't recognize because, you know, we've just been in it for mm-hmm. same reason you don't always notice your house is messy. It's because you just, you always live there. My house doesn't stink. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Pick Um, up that rat. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, um, I think too, I think um, it's a good reminder, just broadly speaking, that uh, we want to be very careful about the the commandments that we give people. Right. um, And and keeping things, because even, you know, one of the things, we have a tendency as as, uh, sinners um, to take even good things God gives us and if we make too much of them and put them out of proportion or out of place, then, you know, like like the doctrine of baptism or anything um, that we hold too highly or too low, we can go the other way too, um, we're actually um, in danger of uh, abusing God's good gifts to us either way. Um, and so we want to receive them in the way he's given them. I mean, we see it, I, I, would this go fall in line? I mean, I think you see it with how some churches handle the Holy Spirit. I think mm-hmm. they abuse that, and it almost becomes like a law. How can, you can't be part of us unless you're experiencing this of the Holy Spirit. It's right. like this extra adding on things, right. where it's we don't really see that scripturally speaking, but right. they but they start saying that and teaching right. that, and it's like, man, this is sure. this is a good thing God has given us the right. Spirit, right? And you seem to be tacking more things onto it or abusing it, like you right. said, right, yeah. right, right. The second part there was talking about uh, not only, so we got peace with God is in Jesus Christ is bringing about peace, wholeness, completeness with other people. And that that should be that place is the church. God has made us. This is where the new humanity gathers. All the new humans as we're scattered about in our places around Monroe and in the county and the surrounding area. We, this local body, we gather together here and we're a small sampling of that new humanity. He says also, though, he's reconciled both to God and uh, in one body, by the way, through the cross. It's interesting that uh, Paul says not simply that the Gentiles needed to be reconciled to God, but the Jews did, too. So mm-hmm. people who didn't grow up in church and the people who did grow up in church uh, both realized, actually, that their, their problem was the same. Um, as we, we talked about, the Gentiles were already viewed as condemned and in darkness. And then the Jews, who had been given the law, as Paul talks about in Romans, he found out even though he heard the law, he didn't do the law. And he couldn't obey it. And so, ultimately, both Jews and Gentiles are placed under condemnation. And it reminds also of a verse, is it Romans 11, the very tail end of there, where he says, He has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. And he's talking about Jew and Gentile there. Um, both are put under disobedience. Both are granted mercy now. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to talk about reconciliation at all? I don't know anything comes to my mind. I'm really bad at asking these questions. Um, but thinking about how God and Jesus Christ reconciles us both to God and how that, in a sense, I guess one of the things that does come to my mind is that one of the great equalizers is this is what the law can't do. The law can, if we're trying and we're not broken by the fact that we, we, we think we can still keep that commandment, that that's actually separates us from other people. But if we're both recognizing the fact that we are both guilty under the law, that actually is a great equalizing place. So whenever 
Um, so for instance, Pastor Scott did the prayer of confession yesterday and talked about our sin. That actually puts us all on the same footing. It brings us together. It's a strangely uniting thing. Whereas if we're, we're all going out and thinking we can do this, it actually separates us because we're all judging each other and thinking how well we're all doing and we're all obsessed with ourselves. But whenever we acknowledge our guilt and our sin and bring that to God and confess that, that actually unites us together in a way. Yeah. Um, the way I was thinking of it is, I mean, it's it's really hard to try to have a an understanding of how the gospel reconciles us to one another mm-hmm. if you don't first understand that it is about us being reconciled to God right. himself. Right. Um, because like you said, it's the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. So even as we were talking about people who would come from different cultural backgrounds, even from within Monroe, like you gave, I mean, it's a great example of people who grew up in church and people who didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've ever been around, if uh, those two groups mixing, it's very obvious that they have different cultures even, mm-hmm. even within the same culture. Sure. And um, and so those two groups trying to get along, if they don't, if one of, like if say the, the group that grew up in church comes with a possibly a very stuck up mindset mm-hmm. of like, I'm doing this right. I'm the one that's living as a Christian. Mm-hmm. You're coming from the world and you need to do what I'm doing. Right. That might not be the case. But if both see themselves as, no, I am a sinner, I am a sinner, and I needed to be Mm -hmm. uh, uh, reconciled to God. That puts them on an equal footing Mm -hmm. to where now everybody's able to accept, I have sin and I have flaws. Mm -hmm. You have sin, you have flaws. Let's pursue the Lord together. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, like that reconciles people. Mm -hmm. If you try to do it without that, all that ends up, what's your standard, number one? Who needs to be reconciled to who? Right. What side needs to uh, to submit to the other side's understanding or view of things? Mm. And so it's just that's good, Scott. Yeah, that's just kind of what comes to mind. Yeah. No, I think that's um, <clears throat> see that's where the preaching of the gospel actually unites because it can the law convicts us of our sin equally, and and there is blessing like Paul will say in Romans three. What bless you know? What's the advantage for the Jew? Well, there's a there's a big advantage to you know we could we could apply it to there's a big advantage to growing up in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. It's a blessing, and Paul doesn't deny that. You get to hear the word of God. You get to experience the fellowship of being around Christians. There's there's a lot of great blessings, but that doesn't save you automatically. And your problem at heart is still the same. That same problem has to be taken care of by Jesus as the mm-hmm. outside world. Um, and so whereas. In some ways, I think people feel uncomfortable with the fact that, why do we have to keep talking about sin? Why do we have to come to church and confess this? Well, actually, it builds great unity in a strange way. Um, because if you go to a church where the law is preached heavily, as far as the fact that you guys, the, the, the message of Christianity is, is do better. Some of those churches are actually going to be very disunified. Because they're all going to be out competing with each other to mm-hmm. fulfill the law. Yeah. And none of them are going to be able to fulfill it perfectly. I mean, they're all going to be judging each other and looking at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's reconciled us both to God. Lastly, um, we talked about preaching peace, how that um, is kind of rooted in a military metaphor, actually, the idea of, of gospeling, of proclaiming victory won from the battlefield. And then we talked about access in verse 18. And this is kind of interesting. Paul builds, these are kind of his blessings. They're kind of, 
you know, the first blessing is down here. We get reconciliation with each other. Then we do get reconciled to God. But then the greatest blessing he builds off on top of that is we have access now to God. This is like kind of the preeminent um, way in which God has made us one. Through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Uh, Scott, you were there thinking about access. What do you think? Any thoughts about about that? You can tell I don't do this every week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I think you gave a great example to demonstrate just how big of an idea this is. The fact that, like in the Old Testament, God gave the law and a lot of the ceremonies and a lot of these things so that God's people would be able to be with him, that he would be able to dwell with his people. But even as he was dwelling with his people in this physical way through like the tabernacle Mm -hmm. and then later the temple there were so many rules and regulations that still separated and there were even visual and physical barriers Mm -hmm. to clearly demonstrate to israel that though i am dwelling among you we are separated Mm -hmm. and so uh, there were different uh different stages of getting into the temple and then there was an entire section that you were talking about the holy of holies where only one person one time a year could go in there and do what they were supposed to do but that that curtain separated god from his people in a way and uh but i mean what you read in the in the scriptures is that when christ died the the curtain was torn in two in a sense and so this separation that was there is is done away with it is it is no longer the case then so the idea to a, an israelite or to a jew growing up the idea that you actually have access to god as just a regular everyday jew you're not a priest you're not the high priest would have blown their minds uh-huh. uh to think that that we have access to god yeah yeah i mean this goes even further though for the gentile because the gentile had less access to the temple than all yeah, the others, right. which, which he's writing to a Gentile church right. here. And so they knew this separation, it seems, that mm-hmm. this church would have known of this separation. And it wasn't just a separation of like, you know what, just don't go in there. It was signs up. Mm-hmm. If you come across this line, we will kill you. Right. You're going to die. Right. And so not just a separation from God, but also the people of God mm-hmm. was the position that the Gentiles found themselves in, which is what I preached on a couple of weeks ago. Right. Yeah. And, and so this, but what Christ has done, as we saw, see in, in 13, and then it's expanded here is he's brought the Gentiles near how with the, with the blood of Christ, yeah. that separation isn't, there is no more, you know, Jew Gentile divide because the blood of Christ is what brings both near, hmm. right. Equally there. Yeah. And so an even greater, I know, I know theologically it's not, but it seems like an even greater separation for the Gentile hmm. because they weren't hearing sure. it in their home. Sure, they weren't well, able it literally to to was. It was, was yeah. a greater separation. Yeah, yeah. Paul you says know. that you were alienated. Yeah, alienated. Yeah. You don't. You weren't even part of the mm-hmm. nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think access that the. You know, it's funny, Scott. You talked about the curtain thing, and as you were talking. I was thinking, if I had been thinking, I would have just used the curtain illustration. <laughs> I would have brought up the burst. It's like, duh. It's like amazing how I missed that obvious connection. But, um, <laughs> it's all right. You know, that's a, all right. Um, but I think, um, you know, I mean, I, one of the verses, too, that you think about is where God says, um, Psalm 23, 
where David talks about, um, you spread a table before me in the presence of my enemies mm-hmm. and I, my cup overflows. It's amazing that God, it would be, it would be a great blessing for God to simply like we stop at the reconciliation. I'm not going to send you to hell. You can live there. I pardon you. But he doesn't simply do that. He brings us right into the family. Mm-hmm. It's all, and, and because there's almost like it shows I actually do love you. I don't simply want you to just coexist alongside me. I want you to come into my house. And this uh, Trinitarian language here through Christ by one spirit to the Father, we find ourselves caught up almost like we're in the center and the fullness of the triune God is just surrounding us. And we're just basking in his glory mm-hmm. and in his presence. And he surrounds us completely. All three persons of the one being of God are just surrounding us with the love of uh, the infinite love and goodness of God. And so he brings us in and we, we dine at his table forever and ever. Um, that's why the Lord's Supper is such a wonderful ordinance. It's not simply we're sitting up there and reading the, you know, you've been absolved, but now come to the table right. and eat and taste and see that the Lord is mm-hmm. is good, Psalm 34. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's the beautiful privilege. We have that to offer to the world, to proclaim to them access um, to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. any thoughts further before we wrap up? No, I think that's good. I mean, I... These verses that you had, you get to see the Trinity evident. Yeah, Trinity is not used, but you see the work of the Son. You see us having access in one Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit to who? To the Father, Mm -hmm. right? There, uh, a beautiful picture that we have uh, uh, there in Ephesians. And I appreciate you preaching while I was gone. Yeah, um, being faithful uh, to God's Word. Uh, I hope this was helpful to all of you. or encouraging and just brings further thought and hopefully discussion with you and your family or whoever you have the privilege of discussing the sermon with. Uh, we are praying for you as our church family uh, each week, praying for our mem- the members of the church that God would uh, use you to glorify Him each and every day because that's what we want to do. We want to glorify God in everything we say and do. And so we trust that you're being faithful to that in your family, at work, wherever it is so that God takes you uh, out and about and we look forward to gathering together again like Spencer was talking about a moment ago uh, as the body of Christ that God has assembled here that we call Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. We look forward to doing that with you uh, this coming Sunday. So we hope to see you Sunday. Hope you have a blessed week.